Andrei Okay, so here we are. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Excited? <laughs> yeah, dude. Absolutely, yeah. man. I mean, uh, Nathan. That's your name. Well, that's me. That's, yeah. uh, that's what that's what people should be aware about <laughs> when they're listening to this uh, this episode, especially you from Spotify or something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, tell me uh, before we get into you. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, how many podcasts have you been to before? I think uh, this might be my fourth, third or fourth, but it's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a long time, yeah. I think the last one, uh, the last real podcast that I was on was maybe a little over a year ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you have had podcasts in Estonia? Uh, two of them. Two okay. of them in Estonia, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What were they about? Uh the first one the first one was about art and uh living life as being an artist. Uh the second one was about the prince. It was uh the the podcast was done after the last day of shooting. So I I finished the day of shooting and then as soon as I was done like the guy brought all his podcasting equipment to to the set and as soon as as soon as I wrapped everything up I was doing the podcast about about the film. And uh, the third one was just two guys sitting around talking about life and and, and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, okay. Just life, life in general. Well, Go today's podcast is probably going to be a combination of all of those. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about art. We're going about we're going to talk about guy stuff probably. Yeah. You know, two guys talking about guy stuff. Of course, natural. <laughs> who knows where? Who knows where we end up? Yeah, yeah. But you know, okay, uh, for the listeners. Uh, why don't you do a brief intro about yourself? So, if you were to describe yourself in like I don't know a few minutes, yeah. how would you do it? Uh, so basically, I was uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, I moved to Queens when I was about I think it was like I was six years old. So I spent my my childhood in Brooklyn and Queens uh, at the same time. Uh, spent most of my life in America. Lived in eight or nine different states. In America, I was uh, I was in the military for about two years. Um, I worked on motorcycles. I was a musician. I was an electrician. I worked on a farm. And the ending, the ending of my time in America, I was in uh, I was a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that's how I ended it. And that's when I came to Estonia to live out. I've been here for five years now. So now I'm here, and this is the longest I've been in one place my whole life. Minus uh, before being 18 years old, mm-hmm. you know that the, those days were spent mostly in New York, um, and now yeah, now I'm uh, now I do movies, I do movies, photography. That's how it all kind of started, and it's yeah, it started there. But of course, my end goal for me for myself was to go into film, which is what I loved to do when I was I don't know 12, 13 years old. I loved doing that. That's when like the first version of iMovie came out. You know what I mean? And uh, when that when when and it was at the same time like Lord of the Rings came out and all these movies and that really kind of catapulted me into like my love for filmmaking. Uh, but of course, you know, you turn 18 years old, you face the real world, and you realize, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not really gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put my cards into this. You know what I mean? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna face the real world. I'm gonna join the military. I'm gonna do more, you know, the normal person thing. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And love doing it. It was it was great. And I learned a lot. 
by living in just in that real world and not being such a dreamer at the age of 18, 19 years old. You know, because of that, I, I was able to have this very firm foundation in reality, which I think helps me now being 31 years old and living this dream, this dream kind of life, mm -hmm. you know, of going into movie making because I have a very realistic approach to everything that I do. Um, so it's very good to get that groundwork, you know, that, that first 10 years of my life, that, that groundwork in. Um, but yeah, now mo I'm, my whole, my, all my time is dedicated to, to film, uh, photography every once in a while. Like I said, now it's become a hobby. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, script writing, screenplays, and, and everything that goes along with that, designs and all that. Yeah, yeah I mean, we'll get to the films uh, soon enough, but uh, mm -hmm. before we go there, uh, how did you end up here anyway, and what has made you stay? So when I came, I came to Estonia about six years ago. Uh, my brother got married in Finland, and uh, you know after the after the wedding was done, he went on a honeymoon, and I was there with you know my whole family, the whole French side of the family, and we were uh, we were all wondering like what are we gonna do for the next two days? So we we're like okay, let's spend a day, let's go to Estonia, let's go to Estonia, let's go check it out. Uh, we hopped on the ferry, and it's you know one of the ferry rides where you get on, you go you go to Tallinn for you know a few hours, you get back on the ferry, you go back to Finland. Uh -huh. One of those simple things. And uh, as soon as the ferry started getting, you know, towards Tallinn, I saw, of course, the old town and I lost my mind. I lost my mind. And within two hours of being there, you know, I told my mother, I told my father, I told everyone, I was like, I'm, I'm moving here. This is where, this is where I want to live. Just the beauty of the city, the beauty of the city. Uh, I love the cold weather also. We came in the summer, but I, but I knew, of course, like you do get the cold weather and I love the cold. So that was another huge plus. Um... But I wanted, yeah, I wanted some peace in my life, you know. At the time, I was living in New York City and doing the bodyguard, which is, I still love that job. I mean, it's, it, was a, it was a phenomenal time. But, you know, I was 20, I was 24, 25 years old. You know what I mean? No peace, no wife, no girlfriend, no kids, no nothing. My work was my life. And I wanted to, I wanted to slow down a little bit and, and kind of enjoy my life a little bit, you know. And uh, that's when I made the decision. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna move to Estonia, and I'm French. I have French citizenship and all that. So I don't sound like it, but <laughs> I guess that's the beauty of it, right? <laughs> Be yeah. French without sounding French. Uh, so moving here was fairly easy, and uh, and staying here, uh, it's just yeah, I, I love the country. You know? I mean, you know, obviously there is some medieval heritage here. Yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, this was probably one of the main reasons as well. It's not only you want to get to the more quiet place because yeah. there are tons of quiet places in small countries around the world, mm -hmm. but uh, if you end up here and you see the medi medieval you know, architecture and so yeah. on, and also yeah. the culture here as well. Yeah. So that was probably the, the yeah. thing that got you hooked down. On here. the artistic side, then yes, because when I came here, it wasn't just on, you know, on the... I guess on the rea the reality side, yeah, I wanted to relax. I wanted to I wanted a place where I can find some peace and calm. Uh, but on the artistic side, I looked at and I was like, this is like the perfect place to film movies. Mm -hmm. You know, all the, you don't have to build the sets. The set this the whole city is the set. I mean, look at all this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, I, that's when I started getting back to like tampering with the idea of making of going back and making these medieval films. Um, 
and of course, you know, that's, that's how it starts. And you take one step at a time and you meet the right people, you get to know people and then the ball starts rolling, mm -hmm. you know? So of course, at the time that was the idea I had in my head, it was a stretch, but you know, that, that was, yeah, that's, that was, that was a huge thing that kept me here, that made me move here and still, and still keeps me here to this day. Okay. But how would you describe this place now? How, how would I describe it now? Yeah, I mean, being, really changed, being, uh, being for six years here, you know? Yeah. I mean, the people, how the society works. Is there, I mean, there definitely is some difference when you compare it to the States. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think uh, in, it, in, in retrospect, though, I, you know, we have that famous saying, ignorance is bliss. And, I, you know, I've been here, you know, I came here six years ago, but officially moved here five years ago. Uh, I've picked up on the language. I've picked up on a lot of things. Uh, but I, I would still say it's still it's it's still so rough, you know, so that I don't really understand what's going on Find around it difficult? me. Yeah, I mean it is difficult, you know. You, you know, I, I speak you know French, French and English, Latin languages. You know, I have like this certain like grammar in my head that it's like this. And you, when when I heard guests had like fourteen different tenses, I was like, guys, why, <laughs> why? Yeah, we have fourteen different <laughs> tenses, but we don't have the uh, what do you call them? You know, the present, uh, continuous, present, yeah, present yeah. all, all yeah. that shit. You know, yeah, you have yeah. all those. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Which which can be, which can be a, a real headache as well. That's a good point. If you're yeah. learning English, yeah. you get by. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I mean... But I don't really, like, I, I don't get bothered by anything. Mm -hmm. Nothing bothers me. Whereas, like, you know, when I was in New York, shoot, everything would freaking bother me. You know, I just, I, I overhear people's conversations you know, I see the way people are. I see the way they talk, the way they express themselves. I'm just like, oh, it's, it's eye, a lot of eye rolls. You know what I mean? Which at first you can be like, well, that's all it is. It's just an eye roll. But do that every single day and it'll get to you. What is it'll it? It'll like, get to you. Drama? It's, it, yeah, the people are so dramatic over little things. You know, people blow things out of perspective. They're so emotional, especially over things that don't really matter in the end. You know, and, and, and it's not even... It's not even like spontaneously like every once in a while you see it. It's just like a continuous thing. And, then, you know, that saying in New York, like everyone has an opinion on anything, which is very true. New Yorkers have an opinion on everything. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, Estonians probably have an opinion of everything as well. Yeah, yeah. They simply don't utter it out. They just you don't know? utter it you out. Know? <laughs> they leave it inside of themselves, exactly. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that probably saves you some... Uh, some sanity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it really tied into, you know, my time in the military also. Um, because my time in the military, I, I, you know, I met some of the most humblest guys and, and very, you know, I mean, there are some of them are very crazy, you know what I mean? But like, that's all good. You know, you're in the army. What do you expect? You're going to be a little crazy, you know? Um, but we dealt with, there was a lot of things, uh, like traumatizing things that you deal with as a young man during that time and when you go back from the military and you go into the real world and then you witness what society is like and how what you know what people are like on a day-to-day -day basis and I, I would look back and I'm like well these are the these are the people that you know my guys like gave up their sanity for you know what, what we signed our life over to protect like this is what we're protecting Mm -hmm. You know, I know it's very, it could be very cynical, but like in that, in that frame, like we're protecting garbage, mm -hmm. you know, these people are not worth it, you know, and, and, it, and that really, that really got to me, I, you know, and I, they say, like, Nathan, you need to go to anger management and stuff like that. And, you know, 
And I, I didn't, I mean, of course I was angry, but it, there was nothing like anger management would fix or any of that stuff. You know, I was, I was very uh, messed up mentally because of the world around me. And then I moved to Estonia and it all, and it all just left because I wasn't reminded of it. I know it's there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not reminded of it on a day-to-day basis. So I was able to find clarity and peace in my life. And now, like, I'm just I'm not that angry. <laughs> I'm not yeah, that I mean, angry anymore. It's probably a huge <laughs> contrast yeah. when you, when you oh, took yeah. the military setting and compared to the everyday life over yeah. there. Yeah. But, you know, I want to still believe that uh, there's good in people yeah. and uh, environment is what changes people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what do you think, uh, what might be the, the factors that have uh, uh, made people like that? especially in the States, uh, as, you, as you have described. Well, the thing is in the States is that everyone, which, you know, America definitely prides itself on, is like the difference in people, the difference in culture. You know, you have all these different peoples from all around the world living on one land mass, and it's like, oh, that's our power. Now, in one sense, you could say that that is true. But in the other sense, if you look at the, if you look at the details of it, like let's take New York City, for example. New York City likes to pride itself on, you know, we are the most... Uh, culturally diverse city in the world, which is true. But the, at the end of the day, the Puerto Ricans co-live in the Puerto Rican neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, the Irish live in their neighborhood, the Italians in their neighborhood, the Koreans in their neighborhood, the Chinese in their neighborhood. So like, yes, if you look at the city as a whole, it's very diverse. But at the end of the day, people keep themselves. Why? Because generally they don't get along. Yeah. I think in New York City, everyone hates each other. Everyone's so angry in, Amer- in, in New York City. It's because they don't get along. You know, you set you set a you set a base. It's a very it's a very idealistic base where everyone in the world can come and get along. The reason the 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 logic behind it is very faulty if you look throughout history is that no people do not get along. You know, people with their own cultures and their own people like to tend to stay to themselves. And I don't find it. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a very natural thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but the more people you involve. You know, the worse off you're going to be. And in America, I think there's like 300. Don't quote me on this, but I think it's like 330 million. I think 330 million people from all around the world living on one landmass, and they're told to get along. I'm sorry. Like in an ideal world, it'd be beautiful if they did. But I live in the real world, and in the real world, you put like two or three cultures together in one place, you already have problems. You yeah, already that's have especially problems. with countries as well. You know, oh, you yeah. have one country adjacent to another country, yeah. and you know they might have their tensions and clashes. You know, yeah, yeah. whatever not. But if you put them closer you know communities close to each other you know, the the chance of some clashes happening is much more prominent of course oh yeah and just in america now you just have a plethora of it because you've stuck everyone in the world on one landmass. of course you're gonna have problems of course people are going to be agitated and, and they're not going to understand why this person is like that or that person's like that and of course they don't agree on anything everyone's opinionated and everyone has everyone comes from their own backgrounds you know and again I don't find like the, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the only thing that's wrong is telling these people that they have to get along with each other. I, I, it's a stretch. It's a stretch for me. I don't. I don't just don't see it as a as a reality. Especially with know. cities as well. Oh yeah. You know because uh, when you speak about New York or any other major American city, mm-hmm. you know compared to this city here, they're all big. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, as we were driving here, you know, we we sort of got sidetracked because of the construction. And uh, I was like whining about, you know, this traffic, you know, <laughs> driving me crazy. But then we cooled ourselves. Okay, it, it can always be worse. It can, it can always be worse. worse. But where I'm trying to get at is uh, 
when you have that big of cities, you have yeah. a, a really small area of land into where tons of people are crammed together. Yeah. And obviously, th that also creates tensions because everybody's in a rush. Everybody gets into other people's way and so on. Mm. I mean, but if you go outside of the cities in the United States, into some rural areas or so, um, is it different there? Yeah, much different. Much different. People are much nicer. Yeah. That's where you'll know, like, if you go to the South or go to the West, as we have that, that saying that the Southern, ha you know, they have the South, they have the Southern hospitality. Mm -hmm. And it's true. They are. They're just, they're, they're some of the nicest people you ever meet in your life. You know, it, it's just, it, it's just, it, that's, it, that's the difference, you know. But when you go there, people are more secluded and they have their own little communities and that's it. And I mean, of course, they have their own squabbles, you know what I mean? Because when you live in a when you live in a community that small, you're bound to have some people who want to, you know, spice and life up a little bit. You know what I mean? Create some drama, you know what I mean? And you have people heckling other people and whatever, whatever. But you see, but those like those squabbles, that's that's going to happen. You know what I mean? There's nothing there's no use in complaining about that because it's not it's not life-changing. It's not world-altering. It's not something that's going to take your country and, and plunge it into some kind of uh, some kind of anarchist state. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's it's okay. It's not a big problem. It's the cities. That's what that's what gets you know the attention. And you see like all oh, these people are acting like this. These people are acting like that. I mean, they're the ones who that everyone focuses on. But the country people, like no one really focuses on them because in the end, like. Those squabbles that they have, like it doesn't matter. It's like family between family or whatever, whatever. But generally, yeah, they're just they're they're much nicer. It's a much nicer way to live. Um, but in but it, but the the takeaway from that is that yeah, you can live in peace and harmony and all you know generally generally. But what do you do with your life? Do you just be a farmer? Now listen, some of my friends are farmers back in Kansas. Okay. Some of the happiest people you ever meet in your life, seriously, and they're genuinely happy just living there, just living a normal life like that. And and I think the problem with the modern day is that people demonize that. That if you want to be a normal person, you know what I mean, live under the radar and just do your own thing, whatever, and you're happy like that, they demonize that because like, no, you're supposed to be someone special. You're supposed to be something, do something big in the world. I would tell you right now, the reality is, again, if you base it off history. Okay, how many people throughout history do we remember? How many people? Only the people that did phenomenal things. The general public, we don't remember. Why? Because they're just the general public, and they, they live their lives, and that's, that's simply it. You know, There's nothing wrong with being a normal, per, a normal person. I mean, of course you, know? you will have your issues if, you're, yeah. if you live outside a city. But, I mean, I would assume at least that you're not surrounded by like those artificial issues all the time that right. get simply generated because of... Uh, whether it's like stress or tension yeah, or, right, or perhaps right. even boredom. Or yeah. the, although I'm, I'm not sure how bored you can be in the city. But you can be bored in the city as well. Yeah, you Actually, can, yeah. A really good example is uh, a few weeks ago I visited Italy. Yeah. And uh, at first we went to a small, small town called Apiro. Okay. Uh, really nice looking mountain village. You know, you have your great restaurants there. You know, people look, uh, you know... Simple in a right, sense that right. uh, you, you see that they have done some work and, you know, they serve you food and it's all nice. Everybody has a good mood. The weather is nice. All the food is local, all that. Everything's clean. But, right. but at, at the end of the trip, we went to Rome. And the streets of Rome is like full of merchants who want to, who want to sell you all kinds yep. of stuff. Yep. Uh, they are quite intense with you. They use their tricks. Mm. There are tons of people, tons of tourists. 
uh, all the cafeterias are full, and there's even trash uh, laying on, on the streets there. Yeah. So it's a real difference, even though like, Leibowitz has really strong cultural heritage. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you see the difference between rural areas and major cities. Yeah. And, you know, this, this coincides really well with your American mm -hmm. example as well. I mean, yeah. So it's pretty much the same. It's pretty much the same. I, I think it's universal everywhere. Yeah. It's just maybe yeah. here it hasn't gotten to that extent yet, mm. but probably will because Thailand's uh, expanding <laughs> like crazy. You know, it's yeah. expanding. We'll get our big supermarkets here soon enough, and uh, <laughs> we'll 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 be westernized. Soon. Well, let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see what happens. You know, I, I think for the sake of for the sake of Thailand and Estonia, you know, as a whole, like I. I hope it doesn't get to that extreme, you know, where like when, when people say, oh, Nathan, what do you love about France? And the first, I don't even say Paris. Yeah. Paris is not France to me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I want France. I'm going to go to the countryside. I'm going to go to Alsace where my family lives, you know, Strasbourg mm -hmm. and all that. You know, you go to the south of France, you go to the countryside. That's when you're going to see like real France. You know, you know, you want to see real France. You don't go to Paris, you know. It's, you have, it's, you have, of course, you have you have the very french you know architecture over there some of the old school stuff but if you want the the feeling like the aesthetic to meet the like real french people you're gonna go to the countryside and then you'll you'll really get the whole uh you get the whole experience would you agree that if you want to see the real estonia you can still stay in Tallinn? you know that yeah that will i'd say tartu mm -hmm. more more or less tartu that's more it. than Tallinn. um but Tallinn does have the old town yes you know, it does have the old town and it's kind of pissed off. They they opened a Baskin Robbins in the Old Town Square. Can you believe that? Like <laughs> that made me like, guys, why, why you open a Baskin Robbins, an ice cream shop in the middle of Old Town Square, which is like so you know it's very classical. You know it's late medieval, but still. And then you open an ice cream shop. I was like, oh, I hope that doesn't. I hope that's not the future for Old Town. <laughs> well, maybe the money was just simply right. Yeah. Who, knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But you know, since we already started to talk about you know Tallinn, and yeah. we we still we always somehow get to the old town again with our conversation. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so let's pick up the main topic uh, enough today. Medieval. Mm -hmm. What is that? What is the thing that you have with medieval? So that you're, you're drunk on medieval. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't I don't even think about. It's not even like a topic anymore. It's just it's so much a part of my being. And that started when I was young, uh, because my father, he's an artist, you know, and he, like a, I like to say, like a real artist. <laughs> he paints like Renaissance art. Like an artist. He's an artist. That, like, he studied the study of anatomy. I mean, ever, this guy painted like half the Sistine Chapel on someone's ceiling before. He's, a, he's amazing. He's in the collections. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has one of his. Uh, one of his paintings. Uh, there's a lot of like movie stars. There's some hockey players in America that have his uh, have his paintings. He's an artist. Artist. This is that. That's his whole life. And uh, being raised in that kind of environment, where I'm seeing books on Titian, Rembrandt, Caravaggio all around the around all around the apartment. Like this is what I'm going to look at as a child. So immediately, like the Renaissance and the Middle Ages was something that. It didn't have to be introduced to me directly. It was something that was just there. The whole design, the style, all that stuff. So naturally, because of that, you know, I start looking into the history. I start knowing, uh, you know, famous figures in history and certain events and all that stuff. And, you know, as a kid, 
when you have like inspirations in your life, some people look at like rock stars or movie stars or something like that. For me, I was I was looking at like these figures in history, you know, and even going back to the Roman Empire. I love the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. I'm not the most knowledgeable on it. Like this, people that are way more knowledgeable about you know, about the Roman Empire, and especially the Middle Ages and the Renaissance more so than I am. Um, but like that's just, but that's the stuff that I was that I was into, and I and I love the stories. I love the stories of these people's lives or whatever. And this is that's what kind of I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to be like that, you know, I want to be like that, you know, and uh, that. I want to wield a sword. Yeah, I want to wield a sword. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's something that, as a child, I mean, it, 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 it definitely appeals to you. The, the, the theme of heroism. Yeah. You know, the theme of heroism and being glorified for your strength mentally physically spiritually all in one it's not some people when they look at that like oh they're just you know like it's all about the physicality of it it's not you know when you read into what like who these people are it's more than just because like this guy won this many wars and this many battles it's it's much that's a very it's a very um naive way to look at it you know it's very ignorant you know you have to look at the mentality Look at the mentality. Look at the way they looked at the world, the way they saw the world, and how they handled it. You know, and and these, you know, as a kid, that's what that's what I grew up with. Even into my teens, you know, I was the same way. That's when I started making medieval films, and and uh, these were like the topics I liked to. You know, I didn't I didn't do it exactly well because I was still you know very young, you know. But this it's carried it's carried with me for my whole life. It's not even. Like I said, it's not even something that's like, oh, the medieval age. I'm like, oh, this is my normal. This is my everyday life. You know, every, I, I, think in, I think medieval when I write stories, it's automatically medieval. Automatically. Because I think some of the best stories come from that, from that era because of, now you can go, of course, I can go into so much detail about it. But one of the things that I've, I've made a point uh, previously on why, like why the Middle Ages, why a story within the Middle Ages, well, because... You know, back then, people, when they lived, it was to the utmost. You know, you didn't know if you were going to die tomorrow. You know, everything you did was a matter of survivability. You know, when you spoke, when you spoke your words, you, the, you lived by your word. If you didn't have your word, you had nothing. Yes, and it wasn't See all about, I mean? you might think that, you know, because you don't know how long you're going to live, what tomorrow brings, you know. It can, you know, a modern person might think, you know, man, you know, that must have been nihilistic, you know, what's the point of life? But then again, on the contrary, they had like virtues that were like really serious about and, you know, the whole behavior was based on those virtues as well, which at least in writing, you know, looks pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I've, I've seen like nowadays in the modern day, they've done a, a serious disservice to the, to the history of these people because what the modern day, from what I've seen... Uh, now it's we've been only been living in like the modern uh, age of entertainment for so long, um, but they like to defuse that, and they like to put those historical figures and these people on the same level as the modern day people, which I think is completely wrong, because in order to understand the people that lived during these times, you have to think in that same mindset. You can't put a twenty twenty two mindset on people that were living in thirteen twenty five. You know, you just can't do it, you know. So the idea, like, how could these people actually live like that? Oh, well, they could back in 1325, mm-hmm. you know. The, you know, it's like, well, it's like the, it, I mean, it's kind of, a, maybe it might be a, a stupid example, but 
it might, it might work anyway. If you ask somebody like, you know, if you could live in any time of uh, any time of history, you know, where, you know, what time of history would you live in? Someone says, okay, I, I'd, I'd love to live in the Middle Ages. Well, how could you live in the Middle Ages? They didn't even have toilets. Yeah, but like, did they know even know what a toilet was? If you lived in 1325... You wouldn't even know what a toilet was, so what would you be missing out on? You see what I mean? It's the it's it's the matter of having this mindset, like okay, I have a, I have a phone, I have all this stuff, this stuff, this stuff, you know, all the, you know, all every all the modern day uh, all the modern day luxuries, right? Well, if I lived back then, I wouldn't have that. Well, yeah, well, if you lived back then, you wouldn't know about it. You know, you shouldn't have any any uh, knowledge about uh, modern day. It's, yeah. it's not like you travel back in time, yeah. but you're like a clean slate. You clean start from slate. there. Yeah, yeah. However, one of the arguments can be that, uh, well, the lifespan was quite, mm-hmm. quite low, and the medical care wasn't that, and there was yeah. a lot of alchemy, all that quackery as well. So, I mean, people actually were suffering quite a bit, mm-hmm. weren't they? Oh yeah, it, def- it definitely did happen, but that was standard. Yeah, that wasn't anything new. You know, that the whole idea of like the life expense expectancy that we know now, like it wasn't that high back then. Yeah, I mean, we know that now, but back then, that was normal. That was standard, you know. You, you you never knew if you were gonna live to see the next day. The, of course, the idea of living to the age of 80, 90 years old, what are you talking about? You know that that wasn't a reality for them, you know. So if you look at like pure, you know, purely from like their existence and what they did, uh, there's a lot of heart behind it. There's a lot of heart, a lot of soul behind everything that was done, and that's what makes a good story, you know. When you when you you rip everything away from the from the luxuries of the modern day world you know and you and you go to really find what what is the human soul desire how does the human how does the human heart work you know in situations like this where you really it's it's you and the honor that you carry you know that's what makes a good story mm-hmm. you know and this is what makes people reflect and this is why movies like that are always so powerful you know if you i know the lord of the rings it's it's a fantasy uh but, but still with swords and armor it's the same idea why is that so powerful you know there were th- there were themes that were explored in that film that you could never do it with a modern themed film at all you know in, in the modern day things get things get twisted you know things get twisted you have the media you have people on their phones and everything it's much easier if you want to call somebody you do just call somebody and then boom that's it cool uh we got that story that that uh that little bit of the story that we needed it's all clear just from a, from a phone call. Well, if you make a movie from you know based in the Middle Ages, any historical film, uh, it's more it's much more difficult than that. It you is. know, it's much more difficult than that. So that that creates conflict. Well, this need this word needs to get over here by this amount of time, and you can already have a whole story right there. It's also setting as well. Because yeah, it's setting, yeah. If a modern day person looks at, I mean, movies in modern setting, mm-hmm. even action films or whatever, not it's still the modern day setting. Right. You. It's much more connected to you. But if you travel back to the Middle Ages, of course, you know, the sets and on the movies, and it's really difficult to recreate. Right. But it's also as if you're traveling back in time and you're experiencing something else mm-hmm. that uh, is here no more. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you sort of get to experience it again. Right. And it seems interesting because you're not exposed to it all the time. Right. And you know, this might be one of the reasons why medieval movies work. Mm-hmm. And also the stories as well, because, you know, they have stories. It's all about heroism back then. Nowadays, I'm not, I'm not sure how much heroism there is nowadays anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, all those stories are based, uh, you know, some hero has to overcome an obstacle in order to, I don't know, I don't know claim a prize or the love of his life and, uh, and so on. But for some reason, 
Um, the setting itself, for some reason, swords mm-hmm. and armor and all that stuff, that seems appealing to a lot of people as well, yeah. don't you think? So it what's does. up with the sword? I think uh, especially, I, I, again, I, can, I think you and I can all, you know, only speak for, for men at this point. Um, for Why do I think men love it? You know, and, and this, this can cross over into even to video games. The whole theme of the, the swords, you know, the swords, armor, and all this. Because I think, I think deep down for most men, it's still very appealing because it appeals to more than just, you know, okay, yeah, here we go, just a sword and that's it. No, you have to, you have to be very physical. Mm. It's a matter of mentality, a matter of honor, okay, uh, spirituality, also, you know, for the for the religious guys, you know, back in the Middle Ages, religion was such a center, a centerpiece on your whole culture, you know. And I think that deep down, a lot of a lot of men still crave that, you know. And this is why, even in video games, like you look at video games dealing in the Middle Ages and all that, they're always they're always so popular, you know, because I think inwardly, uh, this is it's 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 something that comes natural to us. You know, it's it's the whole the whole journey, it's the journey, the adventure, the wildness of it. You know, I think men are still we're still like that. You know, for for a lot of people in the cities, of course, uh, it's been suppressed. I think naturally it's been suppressed based on the reality of living inside a city. And well, my job requires me to sit at a computer all day, so this is what I have to do in order for me to pay my bills. You know, but if you look. Historically, it's never been like that. Men have always been wild. We've always been very physical, very mental. You know, it's 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 part of our nature, and I think this is why the Middle Ages is still it it, it will it'll never not be it, it'll never lack enthusiasts. Yeah, and also exactly. if you think about it, I mean, let's say you wield a sword and you encounter somebody else who wields a sword, and there's a conversation to be happened, you know, or duel or something. Yep. It takes much more guts to face somebody with a sword than to sit in the bushes and uh, with, with a rifle. Yeah, which which uh, I'm not definitely undermining in any way, mm-hmm. but it is more physical. You have to watch your opponent in the eye. You have to be physically superior, yep. better skills, and so on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, think about somebody, like, you have a sword. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wake up, you have a sword, right. and somebody charges with a sword at you, you know. I mean, that's, you can really shit yourself. Yeah. 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 And, and you see this, this uh, you can pride yourself on discipline mm-hmm. when you bring in the whole, the whole the sword aspect in combat with a weapon, um, with a sword or an axe or a pole axe or, you know, what, what have you. Uh, the, what, if you come out victorious... You will know it's because I had better discipline. I was I trained better. I was better, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 that that idea of that glorification of your discipline and everything that goes along with that is what men crave. You know, there's no sneaky business going on here. You're facing head on, you know, with an opponent, and you need to prove to be the stronger the stronger one, the more disciplined one. The more mentally, the more mentally stable one, because that's what it is when you go to combat. Uh, a big part of it is the mental stability, you know, because you can easily freak out, mm-hmm. you know, in in a, in a stressful situation like that where your life is on the line. But you see, all that with a sword is in front of your face, and by conquering that, conquering that fear, okay, the the courage that is built up within you as a man goes up. And it, it goes up. You will be your tried, your tested, 
and you kn- and you're not afraid to face what life has for you because you're already taking you're already taking these steps forward you're winning this combat or you're protecting your family and all and all this stuff raise you know raises you up it raises the spirits yes and uh, if you are to be on the sword and if you really want to be victorious you have to be you have to be trained you have to be physically yeah. fit because i mean the swords if you take an average sword it doesn't weigh a little you know, it takes, you know, first of all, skill, but still, like, physical power as well, yeah. which also is translated into how you look as well. Because right. back in the day, you know, back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, food wasn't that abundant. You still right. had to search food. You had to work like crazy to get yeah. food. This means that there was no chance of you to be, of becoming overweight. Only the nobles perhaps would have right. come, you know. Yeah. If you're like a knight, you have to wield a sword. You have to, you, you don't, I mean, you'll never know when your next meal is. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly like this threshold of, of slight hunger. Right, right. So you were fit. You know, people back then actually probably looked jacked, I would say. I'd say they were that's, fit. That's yeah. also what appeals yeah. probably in those movies and games as well, mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, fit bodies are appealing to people right, because right. they symbolize uh, vitality and health as well. It's an ideal way of living. Yes. It's the ideal, yeah. Yeah. The human body, that's what the human body was made for. The human body is a survival machine. Yeah. You know, you you weren't created to be, you know, 170 kilos. Like, yeah. That's not the, the human body is not for that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you look, if you go down to like the base reasons for the human body and 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 why this part works with this part and you know, and all, and everything that connects everything together, it's a survival unit. You know, it, your body was made to survive. You this, know? Yeah, this is also a double-edged sword, the issue that I have with games. Mm-hmm. Of course, games are cool. Yeah, yeah. You get to, in games, you get to pull off stuff that you never could in real life. Yeah, you know, yeah. fantasy and all that. Right, of course. Yeah. At the same time, I can understand that, uh, you know, if you, I know, if your character wields a sword in a, in a game, it sort of recreates the, the same idea, right. but it is not you. You right. are controlling this 3D model and yeah. you're facing another dude in another computer in multiplayer, you know, yeah. you want to beat that guy and so on. But it's still not the same because you leave your own body unused. That's dumb. And, and that's the issue that I see also is that games are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they should be played if you want mm-hmm. to play them, but also it is not the same thing as living in a medieval age. You might get the rush, you know, oh, beat you, all that. Yeah, 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 but yeah, still, yeah. you need to take care of your body as well. So I'm not saying go run around with a sword in in, 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 in the old town. Right, That's right. not going to end up well <laughs> yeah. for you, for sure. But, you know, use the same virtues. Yeah, yeah. Take care of your body. Go lift, you know. Yeah. Uh, eat below your means mm-hmm. slightly, you know. Have the discipline. Uh, the issue is that we only get the the rush from the games, but right. all the boring stuff that comes along with it, the hard stuff, that gets left undone these days, right. which yeah. is a real problem, which we have, like, an epidemic of obesity, people coming, like, uh, overweight and so on, yeah. but still playing their games. They still get the dopamine rush, but right. that's not it. Right. And it's addictive as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. You're absolutely right about that. And that's, that's the, the, the downside to video games, because nowadays they're so immersive. They're mm-hmm. so immersive. They're well done, you know, and you people get sucked in. And I'm not even gonna lie, I, I I got sucked in. You know, I got sucked in for a good amount of time, you know, into into playing video games, you know, and, and I knew like, yeah, I had to cut it off. You know, and, and nowadays like I still play. I still play every day. But I just play in the evening time and I only play if I was if I've been successful you know, during the day. 
You know, did I get my work done? Did I get whatever I need to be done? Okay, cool. I'll go home and play a few hours. It should cool, be a recreational done. activity. Yeah, it's recreational. But you see, for the, for the guys who who are lacking that in their in their real world, in the real world aspect, they they play the games to make up that feeling, that that idea of uh, of getting an achievement. You know, achieving something. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. That feeling they they fill in with just with the video games and and that I mean of course you can go into so much detail about that but I think that but that's that's where it's the double edged sword is that yeah it can suck you in so much to the fact that you even forget about your real your real you sort of fill the void life. yeah you fill the void with it yeah the question is yeah, yeah. why the void is there in the first place yeah I mean all the social anxiety and you know being cast out or whatever whatever and also you get to communicate with other people also online right, right. which is like sort of like partners in yeah you get the whole thing yeah, not yeah. partners in crime but yeah. partners in uh, I don't know misery or something, <laughs> yeah. like, something like that <laughs> yeah and yeah well there's two of you three of you you know you sort of hold together you know you'll yeah. get by and so justifying on. the re- ju- justifying that whatever you're doing is just fine because I'm not the only one who does it uh, there's so many other people that do it so it's mm-hmm. okay you know well, don't be like everyone else you know yeah for some reason I I played a few Actually, I have played the whole year. Anything. The yeah. last game that I played was the best game I think ever made, The Witcher Three. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I used to play that a lot, but uh, for some reason, I slowly started to lose interest in the process of gaming. Mm-hmm. For some reason, maybe I didn't have the time for that, or I didn't want to. Of course, I beat the game twice, you know, and I wasn't willing to play anything else because <laughs> nothing compared to it anymore. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but still, but for some reason, what I have realized, and I think what actually people have or guys I especially have to come to realization is that um, you level up your character mm-hmm. you know different traits you have your charisma your strength your attack your defense your intelligence uh, what, what, it, what what all other skills there might be you have your skill tree you progress in a skill tree and actually in order to progress in a skill tree you have to put in effort like uh, whether it's um, mm, uh, not physical wise, mm. but still, you have to do tons of clicks, right. you know, yeah, calculated yeah. clicks, and you know, then you get your prize. And yeah. you, when you get the prize, when you get to level up, you when you get to better armor and so on, you feel good, you know. And other people in the multiplayer, they can see it and all, yeah. all the stuff. Yeah. So you feel good about yourself, but you don't feel good about yourself. You feel good about the character that is actually wearing this new armor and has has better levels and so on. Yeah. So instead, you're taking all that effort that you have mm-hmm. all that effort and which you're actually willing to do and you're putting this effort into this 3d world this 3d yeah. model you know that somebody right. has created and it's not everlasting games die out yeah so yeah. in what what i realized is that all the time like hundreds of hours that i might put into that game in order to develop the character what if i could do the same thing put the same energy into my actual self right you know Level up in real life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you gain XP points in, in games. Study in real life. Yeah. I mean, and I don't mean boring school. Study some skills, you know. I mean, like guitar or, or whatever. Something that is right. cool. Something that really appeals to you. Yeah. You know, you do that. And uh, and also, body-wise, go to the gym, you know. Don't kill monsters for, like, strength levels, you know. Go to the right. gym. Right. Do your own strength levels. Increase your longevity. You're not dependent on the games anymore. So... The actual world where you live can be your game, can be your journey, and so right. on. So I think that, of course, I might be mistaken, but you know, guys should sort of like realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And 
it's it's kind of sad that nowadays a lot of a lot of and you know I got a lot of problems with that. A lot of men they they turn down the challenge. Mm-hmm. They don't want a challenge. They don't they don't want a challenge in the real world. I mean, some do, sure, you know, and those those some that do, and and they take it on and they and they challenge themselves and and they face it. You know, they they get somewhere, they get somewhere. But for some reason, there's like that that whole bunch that just that just want to live, just get by. I just mm-hmm. want to get by. I don't want to really strive for anything more. They don't want the challenge, but then they go into the video game world and they get challenged. Now, of course, you have a lot of you have a lot of different things like being judged, you know, people looking at you differently, and 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 that that haunts everybody. You know, uh, it haunts everyone to an extent. Um, but for some reason, yeah, with men, like I always tell my guys, like you could you could do more. You you could and who and who knows like if you if you're destined to do more, but at least give it a shot, you know at least give it all, you know because when you start doing that when you start challenging yourself, you will the the um the courage within you will go up, you know that 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 emotion that oh yeah I can do it, that confidence, that confidence is what builds it was is what builds you up and if you don't do anything in your life that confidence will it's fake. And you know it inside yourself that you have this fake confidence, and yeah. that, that doesn't get you anywhere. You know that confidence in order to strive forward and, and challenge and meet the challenges of of every day. That confidence is only grown if you actually do things. Mm-hmm. You know, and and not fake it till you make it. Now I understand, like there's certain part there's certain parts of life where yeah, you gotta fake it till you make it, but. Make sure you're not doing 100 percent of it. Maybe it's maybe like 15, 20 percent of it. You know what I mean? I understand like you have to put on a face for certain things. That's that's the real world. We get it, you know. But just make sure that that face is not does not become your whole persona. It doesn't become your whole being. You know what I mean? Um, and if you if you're able to do that, you'll know that me as a as a man in, in this real world here, okay. I myself am choosing to face these challenges and overcome them. And you don't have to do you much know. at first. You know, no, it's, not yeah. that, it's not that you have to transform yourself entirely mm. in a short span of time. No, I mean, find yourself a hobby, for example, right. a real-life hobby. Yeah. I mean, whether you go to lift or you start to draw or use, I don't know, start making podcasts or, or um, although, I mean... If somebody has a really low self-confidence, they probably won't do it, you know, right, because right, of the yeah. publicity. But but still, uh, again, I'm I'm drawing uh, whatever that is, yeah. something in the real world. Pick one, and try to develop yourself yeah. for some t- amount of time. And if you really, you know, have put some amount of time in it, then you see, holy shit, I'm actually progressing. You I'm see actually the fruits of your labor. Yes, I'm actually becoming yeah. better, you know? Yeah. I mean, you play you play a guitar for like a few weeks and then you pick it up at one time. Oh, wow. A few weeks ago, I had no idea I'm capable of doing that. Same yeah. with physical training, same right. with studying. So, so yeah, still, yeah, I mean, gain your experience, level up yourself. You don't have to do it all at the same time. Right. But if you get a taste of it, you sort of, I mean, you sort of become... Not necessarily addicted. I don't like the word because, but uh, you, you you get you get you become hooked. enamored. Yeah, you enamored get, by all this. You get, you get yeah. hooked on like yeah. chasing success. Of course, yeah. that can also go mm. in a bad way because you you know become arrogant and you know too right, self centered right, and so right. on. But still, I mean, do something. Don't it's, do much. It's you know when you said about like the physical training because I think that is a huge thing that every guy can do that. That's yeah. not cut off to anybody. Anyone can do that. You know and. 
and it's so it's always so funny when people like you know they face depression, and and like the answer go to the gym. You know what I mean? I mean? If you say it like that, of course it sounds it sounds kind of stupid. But I, I I always tell guys go to the gym because when you do that, something simple like that. All right, just give it some time, and you'll be able to see what your human body is capable of. And you see that right there, then you start getting some small grains of confidence because then you see what you physically are able to do. You know, I was telling a friend of mine, you know, I, he was coming to the gym with me for, for some time, but it took a while for him to get there. But once he did, you know, he, try, he tried to like, he tried to, you know, lift a, lift a, a heavy dumbbell and he was able to do it. I told him, I was like, give it a few weeks. That's going to be nothing to you. A few weeks happened and he was doing it. And it was like, oh shoot! It was like a big, it was like a huge reality check for him. It was like, oh shoot! Like I am capable of doing this, you know. This is what it is. Just test yourself, you know. And and even though like the gym is not going to solve all your problems, but what it is going to solve is you coming to that reality that you are capable of doing things that you may not have thought that you were able to before. And that attitude that starts there will carry will will start naturally carrying over into everything else you oh, do. Oh yeah, there are many athletes who have said that. Yep. And especially with me as well. When I I mean the main thing that I actually started to do when I was mm-hmm. young, when teenager, 14 when I went to the gym, yeah. is that I sucked at uh, team uh, team sports. Right, right, right. I wasn't able to catch a ball and you know I was rejected and so on, but then I started to develop on myself. Hey, I'm responsible for this uh uh, thing alone. Right. You know, that's only me and you really started to work on myself and when you actually see the progress, mm. you think what I can do the progress even more. It is on. It is. It is one way to build discipline. It's a really good discipline builder as well. Absolutely. And you, and this and uh, just like you said, it will transition to other areas of life as well. Yeah. 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 But also, but at the same time, is that uh, the most difficult part when somebody is depressed mm. is is getting to the gym yeah. because when somebody is yes. really depressed. You know, you feel out of energy. You're dragging. You know, it's almost like it's almost like a, you're a really old person, or like you're really sick. Yeah. Physically, it's really difficult. But you know, and the 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 craziest thing is to overcome that. So this is probably when somebody might need some uh, uh, support, some mm-hmm. social support from friends and so on, who drag you along with the gym. But really, think good thing that I have really realized is that whenever I go to my home gym in the countryside, and sometimes I might be a bit down because all of us are down, all of us have our problems and so on. Right. I pull myself together. I do the workouts. Mid-workouts, I really enjoy the workout. And once the workout is finished, I'm a different person. Yeah. I'm able to communicate and to be, to be, I mean, in better mood and so on. So, and then the day is fixed. So, this actually is like a therapy. It's absolutely, it's absolutely true. And I wish, it, I wish more people would take it seriously. Yeah. I wish more people would take that seriously. It's not just like some meathead just tells you go to the gym. No, they, there's actually much more behind that. It actually works. Imagine if, uh, what do you think, what the health statistics in the world would be in hypothetical world, of course, where everybody deadlifted. Everybody did a deadlift, you know? Not much. I mean, just what if everyone had done it? What would, jeez, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that would make some sort of impact. It you know, would. Of course, it it's would. not that simple, but if everybody had this uh, quota to fill somehow right. to put the physical effort there, mm-hmm. I mean, not only the body composition wise, not only general health wise, but also mental health wise as well. Yeah. 
And not only that, oh, I feel endorphins, I worked out, but hey, today was another day where I was able to keep my discipline going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, it's, it, it's the same thing with the challenge, the challenge aspect. If you challenge yourself to do something that you before didn't think you could, and you start doing that, that attitude, like I said before, goes into everything else that you do in life. You know, and I don't know, but I don't know if you do them, but you know, you do like the cold showers, like the cold baths, like the ice cold, whatever. I've been doing those things for years. You okay. know, I was when I was in America, and I, you know, Wim Hof, he, he, you know, there's very the Ice Man, yeah, has this whole thing about the ice cold water, whatever, which recently became like a huge, like a huge phenomenon. I was doing this thing like seven, eight years ago. You know, I, I, I was, I was going through like this. Uh, I had this stage in my life where you know I was kind of, I was pretty depressed. You know, based off of what happened in the military and and things like that, and. I, I jumped into a cold shower and I realized how much better it made me feel, you know, and I continuously did that and it sucked and it's terrible. You know what I mean? You're, you're freezing your ass off, you know, but then I started realizing like, well, that was like the most difficult part of the day was just doing that. And then everything else I was like, well, I had the same idea when we were in the car earlier. I'm like, eh, it could be worse. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And then like you start, you stop getting so emotionally affected by the stupidest and littlest things, yeah. you know, cause you're like, yeah, it could be worse. You know, I, I think, and, and it's, that's what it is. When you put yourself in challenging aspects, whatever it is, or even how small it is, it doesn't matter. Again, that attitude goes over into your everyday life and then you, you start doing that in like one two three years down the line you look back at who you were back then you're like i can't believe I, i've achieved everything that i've achieved yeah this is crazy and you one know? of the most important things is that it has to come along with gratitude you know oh, yeah i'm grateful that i have done this i'm grateful that i'm here you yeah. know i'm not gonna fucking stop i'm gonna move forward you know i'm yeah. gonna make the best that i can stay humble yeah stay humble keep your head low and, and realize that this is not it, I think for for a lot of people, it's just not. It's not because you're better. It's not because you're better than everyone else. Everyone starts at the same point. You've just done more. If that other person did the same thing you did, they might be at the same level you as you. Mm -hmm. You know, you always got to remember that. And when you see somebody who, who's struggling, give them that help. Give them that helping hand. You know what I mean? And 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 tell them like you're not alone. You know, you're not alone in this. You just. What you are alone in is making the decision mm -hmm. to take that step forward. And if you're not going to make that that step forward, like, I mean, the world can tell you can tell you whatever you want to hear, you know, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, it's you solely by yourself that has to make the decision. I'm gonna I'm gonna step out of this and I'm gonna start making those small steps to improving my situation here, you know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, whatever it is. You know, that's what it all comes down to. And I think there's a certain level of discipline that it takes to make that decision. Now, you can say, like, some people don't have that discipline. Well, that's a that's another topic you can talk about, like the childhood. You know, where, where, do, you, where do you come from, you know? And I think, like, a lot of people nowadays, they say, well, if you look at the childhood, well, they don't know any better. I don't find that as an excuse at all. We live in 2022. Everyone knows better. Okay, it's your decision on whether you're choosing to go the bad route or the good route. You know, I don't care if you were raised in the ghetto. I have a lot of friends in New York City that were raised in the ghetto. They turned out just fine because you know why? We live in the age of information. They knew what was better for them, and that's what they chose, and they turned out better. The whole idea that, oh, the childhood is, 
it's really a prime part in how you live throughout live out the rest of your life i find that to be a, an absolute lie it's an absolute lie it's just it, all those people they do know better you know you live again you live in 2022 there's there's nothing that is closed off to you there's no knowledge that's closed off to you they do know what's better it's just what they choose to do you know and that, and that goes to to anybody in their childhood people come from great households and they turn out to be terrible yeah i mean you know i mean childhood can play some sort of a part but you know once you're like 30 it's not an excuse that, anymore yeah. yeah i mean you're able to take responsibility and you know move on yeah make the fixes i mean obviously if you have some really traumatic experiences you can you know then you once you could become an adult and you're able to analyze those things right right it might be a rough ride to It'll go through rough. to work yeah, through yeah. them yeah. but still i mean you're not done yeah you can yeah, still yeah. move on and 30 you're still young 30 years old yeah you know you still got plenty of life left yeah. to go you're just not 20 yeah right? yeah who doesn't who like oh like this but uh, but still you you're young but but you're 30 not 20 it's right. just different yeah, exactly exactly there's there's definitely you know people are gonna people definitely have it harder than others there's no lie about that you know and that then that journey is going to be very different than somebody who who came out better off you know, it's going to be different, but but it's still that journey still needs to be taken. It doesn't matter how if you lived in a great if you had a great childhood or a bad childhood, there's still a journey that needs to be made, mm -hmm. you know, because like I said, you can look look at so many kids, you know, who had phenomenal childhoods and turned out terribly. And, and all the famous people that have, you know, all the, this, their story is pretty much the same. You know, I came from that place. You know, I didn't yeah, have yeah, this, that, yeah. da, la, la. and, you know, now they're. Like on pinnacle of uh, you have all the examples in front of you. That's yeah. why I always say like the childhood is not it, at past a certain age. Like that has to stop being an excuse mm -hmm. because a lot of people they play that card and they expect everyone to just back away. They yeah. back away automatically. Oh, they had a bad childhood. Okay, well we're just gonna leave him alone now because mm -hmm. I'm not gonna touch that subject with that with him. I don't want to, you know, I'm just gonna leave him alone. You know, I, I think I I think that's terrible. I think that's terrible. That does a huge disservice to people uh, to people and they just blame everything on their childhood and that like that is the end goal like that's that's the end all say all boom done but all then again i mean not all people are don't you think that well because there's so many people in the world mm -hmm. and they're so different yeah, yeah so basically the 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 range or spectrum of the people mm -hmm. you know on discipline wise whatever trait you can take right right uh, it's different so some people no matter how much you tell them or how much you lecture them or give advice mm -hmm. will still not take the advice because they're not, not able to do it so so some people sadly are with quite low discipline absolutely yeah and uh, I, I i'm not sure whether there is something to do about it or or not i think i think that whole uh, that because you're right a lot i think a lot of people are like this and and this is not this is not something that they were born with i think this is something that's been bred in the modern day in the modern day there's a huge pride aspect everyone is taught like oh it's all about me it's all mm -hmm. about pride you want to stand out exactly you want to stand out and well in there in people's in people's eyes like you can't stand out if you're really just doing whatever that person says no if i'm going to do this i'm going to do this alone well okay but are you will you ever do it like <laughs> that's mm -hmm. <laughs> you see what i mean yeah it's like that that whole idea like if someone tells you to do something you're not going to do it just to spite that person that's foolishness that is foolishness you know, if someone is more wise than you and they come and tell you, probably this is the better route is to go go this route, 
listen to them, humble yourself, realize that you are not the smartest in the world here. There are people out there who are far more experienced and far smarter than you ever will be, okay? If they give you some advice, listen to it. Listen to it. And this is, this is, what, I, this is what I've done. And this, this is what my father taught me. It's like, Nathan, learn. Learn from these people. You know, if someone who's seen more, who's done more, learn from them. Take, and if you're not going to listen to them outright, you always said at least, at least listen, at least uh, think about it. At least think about it. Mm-hmm. Think about what that person has told you. Also be humble in the yeah. sense that uh, even if you don't agree with the person. Yeah, yeah. And even if the person is not smarter than you mm-hmm. are, once you still had a conversation with the person, I mean, you're still smarter than you were before the conversation. Exactly. Even if it's the fact that the person didn't offer you anything, it's right. still information. Right. Understand why. Understand why they think the way they think. Yeah. And once you once you come to grips with that, next time you have a conversation that's similar to that, boom, you're like, oh yeah, I was I was I was faced with the same kind of predicament before. I've been in this predicament before. And you see, and and through that you become wiser. Mm-hmm. You know, you you become more knowledgeable about the world around you and why people think the way they think, you know, based on whatever backgrounds. Cause like you said, there's so many people and everyone, you know, you can sit here and talk all day about specifics, you know. Uh, there's specifics to anything that you can think of. You know, there's no, there's no use talking about the specifics. You talk, talk about the general. You have to look at generally, you know, and of course, like what I'm saying, like what I think that the modern day like promotes this whole idea of pride and, and not humbleness or whatever. You know, that's, that's my hypothesis. Do I know as a fact? No, I'm not sure. Like that is the prime reason. But, I, I, but I, from what I've seen, humbleness, the... the um, the theme of humbleness has taken a back, a back seat nowadays, and now yeah. it's about like, yeah, look at me. And don't you think you that know? people? Well, it's obvious that people love the standouts. Right. People love attention. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm left to think that people want to stand out for the sake of standing out. But yeah. you know, the only way you can really stand out if you when when you've done something or whether you accomplished something. Yeah. So. Instead of focusing on how do I get likes and how do I become popular, right. you know, that should not be the goal. No. I think, you know, uh, I mean, being popular or well-known or deemed as a, like, competent, actually, this is the word, competence, you know. Yeah. Do your own thing that you love. Yeah. Try to excel at that thing. And once you do, you know, all that... Uh, you know, standing out of pride and uh, and popularity that will come by itself. The byproduct. Yeah. Yep. It should be. Yep. It should be. That's and you and you see the people that do stand out that way. That's what sticks. They don't have to. They don't have, have to work for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You you already you're already doing something wrong where you're initially going to something saying how do I stand out? Standing out is not the end goal. Yeah. It is not the end goal at all. If you think if that's the very first thought you have, how what can I do to stand out? You will do anything. Create drama. Yeah, yeah. You will do anything so that you can just achieve this idea of standing out. And then when you do, it lasts for like a few, a day, maybe two days. That's it. And, and then, then you you're an afterthought. And then all you, know? you try to pull off even crazier shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just to top yourself and then you end up being a lunatic. Yeah. And, and you're just obsessed with this idea of, of standing out and being over people and all that stuff. Standing out, fame. All that stuff should be a byproduct of what you will just naturally do yeah. being being your own person. You know, 
That's what it's, you can always talk about, like changing the world. So many people want to change the world. You know, I want to go out there and change the world. Like, no, that's not how it's done. Changing the world, changing your communities is a byproduct off of what you naturally do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something you go out of your way to go, I'm going to go change the world. Like, no, that, that's not how it works. You know, changing the world, changing people around you, changing your communities, you know, all that stuff is a byproduct of just you being true to yourself. You know, you're not going to change the world. I'm not going to change the world. Like very, I, I, I doubt like most people nowadays will change the world. But what you can do is change, change your communities, change the, change your friends. You know, if they, you know, if change is needed, <laughs> who knows? You know, but like just focus locally. Focus on the on the life that you have control. You have control over. Yeah. You know. You know, I had this really interesting uh, uh, discussion with another friend of mine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we say that people want to stand out, well, people, they want to stand out, but they, they also want to be successful, which is connected right. somehow, you right, know, right, right. And, and still, you know, whether it's to stand out or to be successful, everybody wants to be successful as well. And they know the end point, you know, I need to reach success, but how to get there is a different story. I don't know how to get there. Right. So people might uh, somehow deem it that it's some sort of a leap that has to be made, you know. Right. I have to make this leap. And when you're thinking about making a leap and you know what you don't know what the leap is, it's highly unlikely that you'd ever make you're gonna make this leap. Right. And what I realized is that you can only realize that you have made a leap once you have made the leap and you look over your shoulder back, you know, okay, so this happened. Yep. But you're not aware in the process of making a leap. Instead you should do your own thing and that's the leap. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so don't focus on the leap. Don't focus on the success. Focus on the thing you're doing now. And if it, if it is successful, sometime when you look back, you realize that... Y- you did take the leap. Yeah, yeah you, yeah, you yeah. did take the leap. Yeah. But it's yeah. the leap is not something that's... It's, okay, I'm 25% done with my leap now, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it shouldn't almost be. There. Yeah, you shouldn't think about it, yeah. Yeah. Focus it's, on what you can do every day. It's not the graduation party. It's like a, like a exactly. leap party, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah, Seam did his leap now, so we're going to gather together and, you know, have some beers and graduate and eat, eat cake or something, you know? Exactly, exactly. Leap cake. And talking about that, like, oh, I don't want to... But this this movie, yeah. that was my big leap, mm. and I had no idea I was doing it. I had no clue. Because yeah, so basically, yeah. we're gonna watch the footage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, organically, we came to this now, so we're gonna go through. Organically, a, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so we, we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're yeah. talking about the leap. Yeah, that's. Yeah, and once you were doing this, yeah, uh, segment of a movie, which was initially a clip, mm-hmm. you were doing your own thing. Yeah, you were not. Uh, Oh, I mean, I have filmed twenty five percent of my leap now. You know, yeah, it's not that. Nope. You, you, you. I mean, when you filmed the clip, you didn't probably have, you didn't have any. Were you sure that it's gonna be a movie? No, I knew like with uh, with the people that I had in the film. Uh, they even told me at the premiere they were like Nathan, like we were thinking like you were gonna put this movie together and then we were gonna go to your living room, you know, sit yeah. down, and get some popcorn and just enjoy it and that was it. And I, t- I was like, that's what I thought too. I didn't <laughs> I didn't think like I thought maybe I you know I'd release it on Facebook, I'd put it on YouTube and that would be the end of it. Yeah. You know, it was just something fun to do, something, you know, to put together just to show, you know, to show for for you know for projects that I would do next, you know, I could show it to people and say, look, this is what I am capable of doing. You know, this was it was supposed to be just like my what I can do, my capabilities mm-hmm. for the film for film. This is what I can do. 
fund me for another project. You know what I mean? And it and it turned out to be like, no, this this went into a movie theater, you know, to a sold out audience. Yeah, it was wild. It was crazy. Which was not the initial goal. No, you know, you started, not at all. You do you started yeah. to do something, something small, and then because you had the. Uh, What's the right word for it? Well, discipline, but also yeah. passion. You know, yeah. if you put those together, yeah. you know, big things can happen without even you realizing that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So basically what we're going to do now is we're going to look over your shoulder to see yeah. to see the actual leap, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. basically this is a, this is a, an intro scene from the, from the movie you made, from yeah? From The Prince, yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. eight minutes, so it has no audio. There's no audio. We're going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, because we're going to comment it, so hopefully... You're watching this on YouTube, and if you're not, then you know pause your Spotify and you know go to YouTube as well because visuals matter. You know? Visuals matter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we felt about them right from the start. So first off, yeah, we're the uh, the first uh, the first scene. There's no uh, crazy cuts. Just the battle scene. Of course, it's muted uh, because we want to talk over it. Um, but yeah, go you can go ahead and play. Yeah, there we go. So this is playing. Uh, this was uh, just a, like a small battle scene that I that I filmed. I think it's fast forwards, kind of a little slower. I think it's. I think it should be all right. So this was filmed with a Sony A7. A Sony A7 is a camera that came out I don't know, like 14, 15 years ago. It's an old camera, and the lenses I was using uh, were also 20, 20 to thirty years old. Uh, but that's what I had at my disposal, and I was like, okay, just make the best of what I have, you know. Put it, put together, uh, put together a storyboard and and film all the stuff, and and it came out, it came out pretty good, uh, for what it was. There was about like twenty five to thirty of my friends that came out, and a lot of friends in like the medieval. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask you, how were you able to gather all those people up? Yeah, these are all guys like guys that I've met like through my time in Estonia. You know what yeah. I mean? There was like maybe there was a few of them that I didn't know. They were friends of friends. They're all friends. They're they're not like strangers to you. No, None no, no, them. no. There were a few. A few of them were strangers. A few of them. This is the first time I met them. Um, but for the most part, no. These were these were a lot of just <laughs> a lot of good friends of mine. You know, and I had some friends that did like medieval MMA, Nordberg. And they already have all the armor. Medieval and, MMA. Yeah, medieval MMA. You know, you go to Old Town, you have like I've those heard tournaments. It's like, I, I, I've heard it's like LARP, live action uh, role play. It's, well, it's not like LARP. Medieval uh, MMA, that sounds like yeah, badass. Which, you know, like during like medieval days, you have like these guys with armor and they beat each other. So I know all those guys. I was like, guys, like come over, let's film, let's film something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this, this was the same idea. Just packed everyone up on one street, uh, put some tables up and... And just film, you know, film some stuff. You know, it's world building. You know, that's, building. that's a market place scene. Was it difficult to do? Uh, I, I filmed that in two hours, man. It was yeah. like two hours. It was, diff- it was difficult because I was, it took so long. Mm-hmm. It, took so, it, it took so long to get like the right shots. You know, I only had two hours. So uh, I really had to be very specific. How did you do the shaky doing. cam with your arms? Or? Yeah, dude, I don't, I don't use a gimbal. I just hold the camera with like, my hands. Like this? Yeah, I just hold the camera with my hands, and that's it. And I and I but go. But you didn't like post production cut something or? No, 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 no. It's all natural. That's okay. all natural. So this this we're gonna go into like the basic idea. This was filmed actually in 2019. Uh, I took my friend Marie, uh, the blonde over here, Ardo over here. Uh, we went to the forest, and I, I told him like basically this is like an idea for a film that I had, and. You know, we filmed this in about three hours. You know, her looking at him, her having this cup. And, and this was, I initially made a three-minute video. 
on it and uh and that's that's where that footage came from and i decided to get the raven i said this right here this i had to scour the internet for because i knew i needed a raven yeah uh and there's like this website where you can get like footage for free Mm, okay okay yeah yeah. Yeah, so that was like my that was the shot i was like i need to i need to put that in there okay all right so these yeah these are more uh more clips from the film uh again a lot of them are just cut up uh, this from a, from a design aspect, you know, again, world building is such a huge part of this, you know. And you know, I mean, uh, they're not talking much in the movie, but uh, the the facial expressions do the work for some yeah, reason. So I absolutely. think, so, I mean, would you say did, did they do a good job with that? Uh, they, I think they did, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They they got the point across and, and they did so well with that. Maybe Estonians you know, are good with like facial expressions. Yeah, with facial expressions. Not talking, yeah. because they don't talk much, <laughs> don't they? they don't talk much yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. So they got it down-packed perfectly, you know. Uh, but it was, yeah, that was, I mean, that was, that was another huge challenge. It was not having any words because, you know, again, no budget. You know, I didn't. I don't. I don't have guys to do sound. Like sound is extremely complicated. It's extremely mm-hmm. complicated. And it's very expensive, and I knew I, I didn't have time to do it. This the whole film was shot in a week. You know, it was shot in one week. I was like, okay, there's no dialogue. Everything's going to be straight up acting, and I, I'm, I'm going to have to tell the story without, without words. And in that aspect, you know, these guys did a did a phenomenal job. You know, getting the, the getting the story across, and I think. You know, the majority of people who had seen this film, they understood it completely. They understood the story from beginning to end. Uh, there were some th- questions that they had, but they were questions that I wanted them to have to go into the next film. And the next film will be a full-length film with, uh, with dialogue also. And that's where we're going to explore, like, the mysteries of the cup and all that. Uh, but everything here, like, this is, all, this is all stuff that I had control over. It was just the camera positioning, the costumes. You know, the fog that you see in like in the, in this scene, that was like my friend with like a vape. You know what I mean? Like he had a vape machine. He was lying on the ground just blowing smoke because you can't like stick a whole Like a nicotine machine. vape or, or specialized uh, like you machine? No, just like a, like a vape. You know, where you have people like the e-cigs, you know, the e-cigarettes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, because you couldn't stick a whole smoke machine in there. It would, it would it would be too much. So a lot of this was just very like run, run and gun off the fly, you know, and uh, – and yeah, it was just, it's a lot of the design, the design work, mm-hmm. you know, of getting the sets looking correct, you know, uh, all that stuff is what, you don't have to pay money for that. You know, that's just a matter of being artistic enough and, and understanding what it is that you want and, uh, and going with that and, and, and making it happen, mm-hmm. you know. But was it difficult to get props for that? Uh, so this, this, a lot of this was filmed at Old Hansa. And uh, a lot of this was already the furniture that they already had in the restaurant. We filmed it during the COVID time period. So the restaurant was closed. Uh, So we just went ahead and uh, we got the okay to go ahead and use all the stuff. And, you know, I rearranged some stuff and I scoured scoured the place, the interiors, to look for anything that I could use. Uh, And this is, yeah, and this is what came out of it. So I was very, very blessed in that aspect. What about costumes? Like, was it easy for you to get costumes? So the costumes come from my very good friend, Jana, Jana Volk. She does the costume design for the Estonian Drama Theater. And I had met her uh, some months before. We became very good friends. And uh, she told me, she's like, Nathan, whenever you have like a movie that you want to do, just, just let me know and you can use, you can use my costumes. Mm-hmm. It's like, freaking, that's perfect. Are you kidding me? What about, what about like uh, hardware in a sense that uh, uh, armor and swords and 
Yeah, that was uh, from my friends in Nordberg. They they already have all the stuff and they use it to you know to, they use it to beat each other. And I was like, guys, do you want to put that stuff to use in in a movie? You want to beat like, yourself yeah. up in front of the camera? Yeah, in front of the camera? Yeah, absolutely. Count me in. Yeah, those guys are great. They're great. They're absolutely great. Uh, this is this is towards the end of the film, at the end of the film here, and it's uh, when the film really picks up and leaves out a at a cliffhanger. Uh, th- throughout the film, we get a lot of as far as like color grading, you get a lot of like red tones. Uh, some bluish ones as well. Uh, this one I went with like a more greenish feel because when you at this point in the film, uh, you want to you want to switch it up. You want to show the audience that they can, now now things are changing. Dynamics. Now things yeah exactly. And if you can't do it with special effects, well how else are you gonna do? What are we gonna do with the color grading? Change the color grading. Change the mood. Change the way you're shooting it. There's gonna be faster cuts and more creepy. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Uh, and, and again, from, from what the feedback was, you know, it went phenomenal and it got to that point when I was editing this film, I was, I was becoming so attached to it and I was like, yeah, I'd love to show this in a movie theater, but it was a 40 minute film. Like movie theaters are not generally don't take 40 minute films. It's a very, it's very, uh, untraditional, (laughs) you know what I mean? A 40 minute film. Uh, but the, the theater saw it. And uh, and they were like, yeah, we love we love to show this. But this is a good good area to explore. For example, if uh, upcoming movie maker makes a movie, a short movie, yeah. I mean, why not use cinema for that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's also additional additional, well, not 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 huge, but uh, still some sort of uh, income. Yeah, for the cinema as well, yeah. and for the people to go to the cinema, exactly. for the cinema to be relevant. Yep. Absolutely. It's not only Hollywood movies. Work out a work out a good deal with them. Work yeah. out a good deal with them, and you know you you have uh, some possible returns, you know. But I think yeah, it's it's important that other filmmakers, you know, getting the film into a theater just make like make a good film. You can work that out, okay. But the hardest thing, make the film. Yeah. Do it. I don't care if you don't have lighting rigs. We had one light. This whole film, we used one artificial light. That well. One for most of it, and then we had this one scene where he was in the where he's in the bedroom and he's sitting, and there's two artificial lights, you know, blasting out the windows. Uh, but other than that, there was that, that was it. No sound. Okay, a Sony A7, three lenses that were 20, 20 30 years old. Okay, and 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 boom, there you go. Like I meet so many filmmakers like, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have that. Look, I, I had like I had a, pro, a project manager. Galpo, Galpo Rabana. He was the guy who was uh, who was helping me out doing the scheduling. It was me and him. That was it. I was building all the sets, everything. I had like some some friends of mine that came in like for a few hours to help me out with like hanging things on the on the walls and all that stuff. Um, but like that was the only way to do it. Like I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna cut this project off just because like well I'm the only one here and I can't do this by myself. No, I am gonna do this all by myself, and so be it because I want to make this freaking movie, you know. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, and also you know? when you have a, a theme as well or a story. Oh, yeah. For example, mm-hmm. what what impressed me most about this uh, this movie was the how educated you are about uh, Estonian, uh, first of all, history, mm-hmm. but as well as mythology. Right. So you are you kind of have taken both and intertwined them yep. into this movie. So this is what really impressed me. And I mean, every person is probably impressed when somebody, especially uh, abroad comes and has great amount of interest in your in your mythology right. and history and especially you know does the thing that you can actually watch and see so i mean 
I, I mean, yeah. How would you comment uh, all the Estonian mythology? I think that, that that's what's you know that, that that's at the core of this was you know the Estonian mythology and starting it off with that. And uh, when I came here, I was kind of shocked to see that no one really had done anything with it. It's difficult, expensive. Well, yeah, it's expensive, sure, but like you can you can do it in a way where you don't need all that much money. You know, the yeah. theme needs to be there, the feeling, the emotion needs to be there. And uh, when I was, you know, I go around Estonia, and there's always a lot of like these fairy stories, like the fairies in the woods and like these spirits in the woods and all that stuff. And I kind of, like, I took that. And I mixed also, like, we had, like, this, uh, there's this mythology about this mermaid in Tallinn of the well and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, sirens. I was like, all right, well, let me mix, let me mix the two together, you know, instead of, like, fairies in the forest would be sirens. They're usually in the water. And stick them in the forests. Because in Estonia, like, that's the most magical thing about Estonia is the forests, you know. Well, I was like, well... You know, let's let's do that. Let's make let's bring some more mystery to that, and and bring in that like the sirens in the forest, you know, which will play uh, you know a, a part in throughout the whole the whole trilogy, and uh, that was like that's like the backbone of it. Well, how can you make a story based off that as a backbone? Well, then you have a prince that goes over there. You know, he takes a cup. You know, it's very, you know, it's uh, it's very Tolkien esque. Tolkien-esque, and I love, I love Tolkien, I love his writings, I love his poetry, um, I love all that stuff, and I, I, I took, like, some inspiration, because he always, he always had, like, these stories of, the, like, like, a beautiful elf maiden dancing in a forest, and as a young man, like, reading that, it was, like, it was encapturing, you know, it was so, it was so, it was haunting, and it was beautiful at the same time, so I took that same kind of aspect of, like, this beautiful woman you know, among the trees and the, these dark trees or whatever. And and then I kind of just formulated a story around that. I mean, it took me a while to, like, get to flesh everything out uh, so that it can be put into a trilogy. Um, but, yeah, that, that's... that's uh, mythology is romanticizing. You have to romanticize what is there, you know, and going forward, that's what it is, like, throughout throughout the trilogy. It's, it's going to be, like, a, a romantic... A rom- romanticizing Estonian mythology and I'm also going to be making Christian mythology as well because in the second film we deal with the Crusaders because during you know during the Middle Ages the Teutonic Order were like the prevalent force in Estonia at the time and uh, what I'm what going forward with the second second and third prince film it's like that huge culture clash that you, you get like in the Vikings you know the Vikings show the very first season when the Vikings come to England, and there's a huge culture clash between like they don't even know what paper is, you know what I mean? So, and I really love that aspect, and this is what I'm going to be doing with the Prince. Also, it's that huge culture clash between the Estonian pagans and uh, the Christian Crusader order, you know. And through that, you can bring, you can you know tell a story that's almost mythological, you know. I want to put it into a sense where the story, the story is fantasy. It's a fictional story. You know, it's a mythology, but it could be real. So same thing when uh, when Tolkien wrote Middle Earth, because like it's totally, it's it's a total mythology. It's not real, but it could be real. That's how detailed it is. That's how almost real it is. Yeah, and it, you know? I mean, it doesn't have to be real. Right, it still works exactly. I mean, people exactly. have doesn't I mean, have to be real. Yeah, yeah. people have like groups or like schools about Tolkien and Star Wars yeah. and they care so much yeah. about the lore and the additional add-on lore and whatever not. Right, so right, right. so doesn't really have to be real. Yeah. 
It still works. Yeah. It still loses, the, loses the its own themes, life. The themes that it embodies, will, the point will still get across to you. You know, again, Lord of the Rings isn't real, but how many people did that movie touch, you know, in the soul, in the heart? Yeah. You really felt it. Tons. it exactly. And, and that's, and that's not, it's not real, you know? The themes live through that, and I'm trying. I'm going to be trying to do the same thing with these uh, with these films. Yeah, I mean, my, I mean, my memory might be flawed, but if I try to recall now, is that uh, whenever I was a kid, I I I don't remember that I was taught in history class mm -hmm. or somewhere about Estonian mythology because mm -hmm. I don't know much about Estonian mythology, right, nor, right. nor nor the medieval history. But I do remember learning about uh, medieval, not not medieval, but uh, ancient Greek, you know, and right, the Greek right. gods. I know all the Greek gods, yeah. but but don't know much about Estonian mythology mm. for some reason. So I think it's really important that uh, uh, you're here and trying to bring this into bring light. To light, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Same, same. I, I learned about Greek and Roman mythology. But nothing really passed that, and then some of you know some of uh, the medieval with King Arthur and all that. Probably all every mythology might work, you know, in different countries. Yeah. All of them work. You yeah. just need a, need the right execution for that. Right. The the light needs to be shown in that area. Yeah. And once it is, and you look at it, you're like, oh wow, that's any type of mythology can be yeah, cool. But yeah. uh, but for some reason, Hollywood only has only has uh, adopted you know each Greek and and medieval and yeah. you know King Arthur and yeah. and uh, all the. All the core ones, the popular ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is what it is. But yeah, it is what it is. But it's what, a new world to explore. What is yeah. this? All right, so this is, uh, this is all right. The mask here is a is a base uh, for the design work uh, for the second Prince film. We have a character who has leprosy, and uh, he's a leper, and uh, he wears a mask. And the first the first thing that I had, of course, was from the movie Kingdom of Heaven, uh, which I absolutely love. Terribly historically incorrect, like horribly incorrect. But the design work of the film is phenomenal. I I, I love a, I love a lot of uh, Ridley Scott's films. So this mask, if you if you see King Baldwin in Kingdom of Heaven, he was also a leper and he has a mask similar to this. And uh, this is the base of it. This is like the shape of it that I want. And uh, the idea is to make it cast into metal and do our do you know do our own designs into the mask. Uh, the character who wears the mask, the character who is a leper, is one of the captains of the crusading uh, order. So he does have some status. And uh, so we, we're still figuring out ways on how we could incorporate that into the design of the mask. Uh, because the mask is so much of his identity. You never really see his face. You only see this, this metal mask that he wears. And the rest of his body is covered with linen. Uh, so a lot of the character has to be described into that one that one single piece of his uh, of his costume, you yeah, know. I was, so I was watching the trailer actually yeah. of Kingdom of Heaven today yeah. before before I came here, you yeah. know. And you know, I, I said I thought to myself, I have to I have to do this, you know. Put it on like, yeah. <sighs> withdraw your army. <laughs> we all die here. We all die in here. <laughs> no need for blood. For it's this really God great. that watches over us. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I remember seeing that movie. I was, I was, I was a younger guy, and and just like seeing him, just seeing him on screen was like mesmerizing. Yeah. You know, how creepy it is. And also with masks, you know, masks work yeah. for some reason. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Ridley Scott has done that through a lot of his films. Is always having like this mask. He did it with Gladiator. 
you know, he's fighting that big guy and he was wearing that mask and he starts bleeding from the mask. It was always, yeah, it was yeah. always some... Even some modern ones. But for example, if you look at the movie V for Vendetta. Yeah, V for Vendetta. I mean, it's thing. a great movie, yeah. uh, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But uh, also, what is, the, what is the main thing about the movie? It's the freaking Key Hawks mask. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what people remember. Yep. And that's what uh, people, that's what, where the fandom, the center of the fandom yeah, also absolutely. lies. Absolutely. Yeah, so so masks really work and helmets, yeah. which are also like, they can be deemed as masks as well. Right, yeah. I mean, with, with helmets, uh, it has to be, in order for like a helmet to really make it be a staple, it has to, it has to be designed so much different than everything else. Uh, with a mask, it's more personal because you have the whole, they have the actually like the casted face of the man just completely still. Uh, it was also a famous movie. Uh, Amadeus came out a long, long time. It was about Mozart. And uh, towards the end of the film, you have this, this, uh, this character who has this black mask. And I remember seeing it when I was a kid and I was like so freaked out. You know, he was all wearing it black. He had that, you know, that hat on and he had this like sad face, the, you know, the drama masks, you know, the sad face drama mask. And I was like, I was like, wow, that's so freaking cool. And then he turned his head and it has the happy face on the back. But this oh, is like yeah. back in the day where like that, like that whole look, like now you can see that everywhere. But that time it was just like, wow, that's freaking intense, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always had this fascination with masks. So I'm, I'm very happy with this next film. I'm actually going to be able to make, you know, make my own character with this, with this mask, you know. So that's, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, again, this, this is the base of it. Um of course, there's like, you know, I'm, the holes are, are somewhat bigger because I do want to have like the makeup for his face because when you have leprosy, your whole body is peeling off. Yeah, you, so, you yeah. sort of want to make it uh, evi evident that, that he's sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I made the holes a little bit bigger so you can see even on the mouth, the mouth will be, you know, the, the skin will be coming off uh, on the eyes. The eyes, like the eye, um, the eye socket will be drooping down. You can tell something's wrong, you know, because you do want to show that there is an actual man behind this mask uh, and, you know, play that into the story and so on and so forth. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's the idea um, with that. Over here we have a just it's a normal crusader tunic. But you see this is uh again this is why design is such a huge thing when you go into when you go into this world. Uh with this tunic here we have of course it's white with a with a black cross which is the crusader the Teutonic order that was their that was their symbol. So there's going to be three renditions of this. In this one we have the we have the cross that extends from the neck all the way down past the belt. You know, and then the crossbars of the cross go all the way to the from side to side. Okay, so that's going to be worn by the captains. Okay, whoever is uh, is a captain within the Teutonic Order, that's the kind of cross they'll they'll have. Uh, actually, there's four renditions. Sorry, four. Uh, the leaders. Okay, the leaders. Uh, the idea is to have the same cross with four other crosses. The crosses of Jerusalem. It's the one cross, and then four other crosses uh, in the squares in the four squares around it. Uh, and for like normal foot soldiers, the cross would be much smaller. The cross won't extend from the neck to the belt or from side to side. It's just going to be a normal uh, white tunic with a black cross. And then you have the guys who are not part of the Teutonic Order but fight with the Teutonic Order. They have a gray, a gray tunic with a small black cross. Uh, so just by that, just by having those designs in there, you don't even have to say 
who is who. You can just tell, okay, he looks like that. That he guy's like, closer to God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That guy's <laughs> closer to God, you know. Um, but this is how it was in, in, the, in real military. You can tell if someone is ranked higher based on how many stripes they have, yeah, how many bars day, that they right. have. Exactly. So you take that and you put that into film, and there's already a whole, a whole bunch that you don't have to explain. You know, people can just see, okay, that's your normal foot soldier. That's your, uh, your mercenary, you know. There's your captain and there's your leader just based off what they're wearing. You know, and that you already don't have to explain so much. It's very evident. People see it and people can get it. You know, will certain things be said in the film? Of course, you're going to see like, well, the guy is going to refer to this guy as captain or him as a normal soldier, blah, blah, blah. Um, but these design choices, and this is a very simplistic way to look at it, uh, but you do that in everything. You know, you, you, you take these simple design choices that takes no money, that takes no money to decide these things. You know, you, you, you make these design, these design choices uh, so it, it's to build a world. It's to build a world around you. If everything in the world looks the same, well, like, you, you kind of lost. I, and I, wanna, I don't want to bring The Witcher TV show into this, but that's why I really disliked it. Everyone looked exactly the same. You know, you, you look at a you look at a skeleton. The guys are from you know from the islands or whatever. They look just like everyone else. There was nothing special about it. There was no uh, there was nothing that really was like oh yeah, like the skeletons are on uh, are on screen here. You know what I mean? The centrons look like this. There was nothing. And this is where Game of Thrones capitalized was all design. You when you were in the north when you were in Winterfell. You knew you were in Winterfell because these guys looked like this, they dressed like this, and they talk like this. You see what I mean? Yeah. You know, if you were in King's Landing, they all looked, they all looked this way, they talked this way. You know what I mean? They, they had. There's always a specific look. The Greyjoys, same thing. Martells, same thing. There's. You knew where you were based off what everyone looked like and what they were wearing. You know, there's so much that goes into that. Of course, people don't think about it because it's, it should be just a natural thing. You know, if you're in this part of the world, you're part of this country, you're going to look this way, you're going to sound like this. And this is why in the second Prince film, I'm going to be, it's going to be in English and Estonian. When the Estonians speak to each other, they're going to speak in Estonian. And when the Crusaders speak to each other, it's going to be in English. And then when they speak to each other, they're going to be, it's going to be in English. Uh, but it's the idea that like only well only certain people can actually talk because they don't know the they know the language you know and, and Vikings did this very well, you know when Ragnar and and you know his Vikings come over Ragnar is doing the speaking and all of a sudden, the Vikings are speaking Old Norse, and the uh, the Saxons are speaking Old English, you know whenever they came together there was that you know there was that that element that I, that I found really really cool so I'm going to try to incorporate that into the second Prince film because again what does that do? creates the world it builds the world that you're in and you become invested into it you know if everything is just the same and everyone speaks the same language everyone looks the same they talk the same they look you know they dress the same there's nothing special about it anymore it's kind of confusing actually it's like, well, well why do they look like that and they look like that but they're supposed to be from different parts of the world like how does that make any sense mm -hmm. you know a lot of the design work that's going to go for like the estonian pagans it's like with the Crusaders, there's order, there's structure, yeah. right? It's very legalistic. It's boom, 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 boom. All right. Uniform. Yeah. When you go to the Estonians, the Estonian pagans, they're, they're still they're still living in like the ancient world here. You're they're going to be more wild. You know, the way they dress is going to be more wild. They're going to be more barbaric. You know what I mean? And you you have 
these co- these differences and and again throughout the film these things clash and there's more weight to it because you really understand both sides you understand where they're both coming from you know and uh, just from the look of it at least the the way they look um, so yeah this it's all yeah, it's all very important so right now that's what I'm I'm kind of going through right now with the mm-hmm. art team is going through designs yeah. I mean okay but how much uh prop work there is to do i mean you have this tunic in front of us here but uh i mean are you gonna make like are you in the process of making you know additional ones but how much stuff is uh, prep work is yet to do so the so as far as the designs the designs are being made right now yeah uh, so that somebody's actually making yeah, yeah. already so okay. well they're going through the designs and then when i when i give the check mark uh okay this is what i want then i send it to the the costume department and they'll start making them um, of course, we also have to wait because I'm I'm meeting with uh, with the investors next month. So after that happens, then I'll have a better idea of what is the certain budget that I can put towards the costumes, what can be done, what can't be done, and all that stuff. Uh, so right now, most of the most of the work is going into the design, making sure everything looks ready, so that when I go when I go to see the investors, I have this to present to them. Okay, this is what I'm going to need here. This is what I'm going to need here. This is what I'm going to need here. Blah 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 blah. Uh, so go, working on the details now, just all the details of all the stuff, and making sure it looks correct. Everything looks to the to the standard that you know that I want to see it in, uh, and then we go forward with with making it, depending on you know how much can go into like costumes, like how much money can be going to into costumes, and you know I have a better idea of what I can do. What about the, what about the script? Is it finished? Uh, the script I'm at page, let me see, typed out. I think I'm at page forty something. Uh, I have another 30 pages written by hand, so I just have to like copy and paste. I write by hand. I like writing by hand, you know. Uh, and then I still, I still have some time. I still have to write out the end. Do I know what's gonna happen? Yes. I just have to, I just have to write it down. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I when I write a script, I write a script and a screenplay at the same time. So I don't just write, you know. Okay, this person says this. This person says this. In the middle, I always put okay. Camera moves from this angle to this angle. Camera moves here. You know what I mean. Camera is placed here, looking up. Camera is placed here, looking down. You know what I mean. So I put the screenplay and the script at the same time. And the screenplay that takes a little bit longer because I actually have, I have to think about it. You know, well, if this person's saying this, like, where do I want the camera placed? You know, how how do I want the shot to look? What is in the what what is in the set? Do I want a table there? What's on the table? You know what I mean? Do I want the camera looking past a certain object? You know what I mean? And I have to, I have to write that down. I have to place all that stuff in there. Uh, so it, that does take time. You know, the dialogue, the dialogue seems to come a little bit easier because I, again, I know what needs to happen. I know what needs to be said. You know, but then I'll, I'll go into looking at the camera movements and and really planning this whole, planning the whole movie out. So on the day of the shoot, okay. I know, I know this needs to happen, this needs to happen, and I don't have to, like, second-guess myself. This is where the camera needs to be, and so on and so forth. What about the locations? Do you know how many locations you have or how, or, or how far the distance apart? Uh, I think there's a few, there's, a, I think, four or five sets I know that I want to film in, in Old Town. Uh, there's another one that's outside Tallinn. Uh, I still have yet to go to go to this next one. It's in, uh, was Kurasare in Sadama. I think it's in Sadama, right? Yeah. Yeah, I still want to go there because I think I want to film there, but I have to go and check it out, actually. So I still have yet to do that. Uh, there's a possibility of possibly, you know, shooting in Sweden as well. 
Uh, I'm going to go there next month to go check out some stuff. Uh, but I know, like, as of as of right now, like, a lot of interior scenes that take place in Tallinn, like, in the, in the castle in Tallinn, uh, I already have some some locations within Old Town. The forest you know. as well. Huh? Forest. And the forest, yeah, of course, and the forest as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's already have some, not all of them. There's still uh, there's still some, some places I'm still thinking about, okay, you know, where would I do this? Uh, but I got some time. You know, I have some time to get to that, you know. I, you know, right now, the most important thing is, again, the designs, the script, the screenplay, and the storyboard down. So you can show it to the investors, and once they're, they're like, okay, yeah, this is this is good to go, then I can go into those specifics and those details and say, okay, this is where this is going to happen, and I can get more specific with it. You know? How much stress do you feel? Uh, if, I think about, if I think about the big picture, a lot, a lot. If I think about the big picture, which I tend not to. I, I stray away from that. I just think, okay, what? And I think we've we've talked about this before. Is like, what can I do every day? Today, this needs to be done. Today, this needs to be done. And today, this needs to be done. And that's I just keep my I keep my focus on on that, you know. And by doing that, I feel less stress, you know, because then at the end of the week, I'm like, oh shoot, I I got all this stuff done. Okay, cool. You know, it's talking about that leap, you yeah. know. That's that's what it is. You don't think about the leap. You don't think about. It. You just think every day, what can you achieve? Just do that, and slowly but surely, you don't think about the big picture, you know. Slowly but surely, you it'll happen point, anyway, and it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when this movie came out in the theater, and like the day of, I was like, oh shoot, it's I'm in a theater right now. Like I'm in a suit. I'm about to give a speech. You know what I mean? Like people are watching my yeah, movie. Exactly. Like it's it's not it's not something you think about. It's just something that happens naturally if you stay passionate and you stay dedicated. You know, you can achieve incredible things, you know, and it's, I always tell people, don't think about the big picture. Big picture is not in your hands. What is in your hands is what you do every single day. You had two screenings, didn't you? Yeah, there's two screenings. Yeah. yeah. I was supposed to go for a whole month, actually. And I, I, was, I had to go to France for another project. And by the time I got back, I was like, you know what? Like, I need to focus on the second film. <laughs> you know what But I mean? How, how did the two screenings compare? Uh, was the, it different? It was, yeah, yeah. The first one, uh, they were both, the first one was packed out. The second one was almost packed out by 10, I think like 10, 15 seats uh, were empty. Um, the first one, it was, you know, I didn't have enough time to talk. Uh, like I didn't, I, didn't, I, wouldn't, I didn't have the time to open up the floor. I had to give my speech, you know, at the beginning. I gave my speech at the end about, and I talked about the actors and, you know, the work that went into the film. Uh, and it was, you know, it was very, you know, a lot of cameras, lights. It was, it was phenomenal. It was great. Uh, the second one, I was, a, I was able to open the floor up to the people who watched the film to ask questions. Uh, so that I, that I enjoyed talking about because I really got a little insight into, you know, what it is that they, what it is it that they saw, what is it that they took away from the film? And I was able, I was able to, uh, to answer some questions and, and I was, I was very happy with that because the direction at which, Uh, people were thinking was exactly what I wanted. Okay. That, because that's what those questions that they had would be answered in the second film. Okay. So the, the right, like the correct, uh, like the hook, the hook was there and I was very happy with it. So, so yeah. But what was the feedback of the people? Uh, the feedback, well, there's one, there was, uh, there's one guy who was very interested and he was like, you know, there's a, there's a scene at the very end, like past the first part of the credits Uh, where there's a, where uh, to me it's very obvious, but there's a black cross in a window for the yeah. old man. And he was like, he's like, was that, is that the Teutonic Order? 
And I was like, yep, there, there it is. There it is. You already know. So he, so, so automatically people started like, okay, you know, he's really going to go big with this. You know, he's going to go big with this. This is, you know, the events leading up to St. George's Night Uprising, uh, which the Teutonic Order was present during that whole, uh, during that whole time of history for Estonia. Uh, so then you kind of like understand like, all right, the scope is going to get bigger and there is going to be like this mythological story within actual historical events. You know, there were some, uh, some, some theories about what the cup is, you know, which was all, which was all well, you know, I was very happy to hear what people were thinking about it. Uh, because again, these were, these are questions that will be answered in the second film. Um, so yeah, I was, yeah, I was very, I was very happy with what people were thinking. Is this just a random cup or is there something special about it? There's something special about it. There's something special about it in the sense that it is, it's a catalyst to something much bigger, uh, to a theme that's much bigger. The, the cup isn't what's necessarily evil. It's what's behind it that is. You see what I mean? So the way it's presented is like, well, this cup is like, the, well, that is like that. That's giving it. into the cup. Exactly, giving into the cup. That's the whole idea. But then when you we go into the second film, we see that well, it's not, it's not that that specific cup, you know. It's what's behind it, you know. That is that's the real evil. That cup is just a representation of what the real evil is. You see what I mean? That's like the face of it, but it's not just that cup. You so you see what I'm saying? So, so yeah. I mean, I mean, to uh, slowly end it, but uh, do you have a um, do you have something inside past those two films, or at the moment you're simply focused on those films so much? I have uh, I have I think three other scripts for three other films. <laughs> oh, gee. yeah. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> I have the, I mean, I have the, okay, so I have the uh, first prince, obviously, then we have the second and the third one. Then I also have another another uh, script that I'm working on called Barons and Kings, and that's a modern day film. It's a different, a different, it's, it takes place in the modern day, but it's not in the modern day reality. It's reality that's, that's a different, it's a different modern day. Um, so I have that one. And then there's another, another film. Uh, that that's my that's the big one that's the big one that that's the one I always wanted to do a, a medieval film obviously mm -hmm. uh, but I got to a certain point I was like there's no way I can film this there's, I'm gonna need a serious budget so one day it's on the shelf right now one day when you know if if I become uh, successful with this you know I'll, uh, I'll I'll bring that I'll bring that out and you know if I have the right funding for it you know and and hopefully make that film also. Can you uh, provide a summary, or you want to keep it a secret? Uh, I mean, generally, how can I say it? it I don't know. It's uh, it's a, it's in a fictional universe. It's a fictional universe, uh, but very but but reality at the same time. It's not like there's dragons and all that stuff. It's it's not. It's I wouldn't even say it's like like the Lord of the Rings, where it's really fic. You know, it's really fiction. Uh, they're like real, real warriors in history, just put into a, into a, into a, fic, a fiction, a fictional world. Yeah, yeah. And you have struggles between this culture and that culture, and how they get along, and what happens in between it, and the fall. We, you know, I, I, I explore the themes of honor, like what is honor, you know, how, you know, how is honor portrayed, you know, and what do people do to achieve this honor. Uh, how, what do people do to lose honor? You know, it's, it's about, you know, it's a lot about that. A lot about that but what story. is the thing that would require such a big budget? 
Uh, the people, mass armies. It's a, it's a war movie. It's a war movie. You know, you need horses. You need guys with armor. You know, you need all this stuff. Can't you uh, replace it with CGI? You could, but even CGI nowadays is it's expensive. Freaking expensive, man. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I, you know, I like I like the CGI, but to a certain extent, I don't want to overdo it. You know. So yeah, I like I like practical effects. I like yeah. the practical effects rather than the CGI. Well, I mean, let us hope that uh, one day it comes to life. Yeah. But before that, you know, got to focus on the Prince movies. Yeah, that's the that's the main one right now. Make the best out of them. I I I think you will make great impact. I already told you before. But yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, we talked quite a lot, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> time to wrap this up. I mean, thank you for coming on, man. Dude, pleasure to be here, man. Who knows? Maybe I here. mean, I'm telling you this. If uh, if the first Prince movie is out, we're gonna do another episode and analyze the Prince movie. We'll do it uh, on the screen. <laughs> so yeah, okay. 